New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show and our Champions League review. There's nothing in the world PSG can't afford, but their lack of midfield left them completely flawed. And in a battle of teams who ultimately won't go all the way, Milan had just enough to keep Tottenham at bay. Chelsea went to Dortmund with plenty at stake, but in the end they are undone by a quick goal on the break. And while Enzo lost, his old side Benfica showed some grit, while Scott Parker's Club Rouge just looked a bit short of ideas. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man whose opinions are stronger than a Christian Romero tackle, Taylor Rockwell. Heidi. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true because I don't know if there's anything that is stronger than a Christian <laughs> Romero tackle. But with that in mind, I will take that as high praise. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And thank you for your editorializing. As always, that introduction was excellent. Oh, you're very welcome, Tay-Tay. Uh, may- maybe your opinions aren't as strong. Maybe as, free- as frequent as strong Christian Romero tackles. Is that fair? <laughs> that's- yes, I think <laughs> frequency is something that can be associated with the way that I talk. Yeah. Yeah, man is robust in his offensive behavior, we shall say. Uh, joining us, Taylor, a man no, who's... Like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it in a good way, I think, just to say that you're, you're our pal who likes to give his opinions on the pod and we like hearing them. That's all right, I'll all. take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. Good man, good man. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's flying like Bayern, Joe Lowry. I ain't lying. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. I am. I'm trying to fly like Bayern. It's a lot easier when the other team just sort of like doesn't defend, I guess, and also leaves maybe their best player on the bench for most of the game. So in that way, I think you know my, my flight has been going well so far. I'm a little bit concerned about what could happen in the second leg if some obvious decisions are, are made. But for mm-hmm. now, yeah, the air feels pretty good. And Joe, just to check in with you, are you adequately hydrated uh, at the moment? I, I am. So we had a whole discussion before we started recording. I have a, a white hydro flask and Taylor and Ryan had never heard of the brand hydro flask. And now I'm afraid saying it out loud that no listeners are going to know about it either. And this is just a giant trick. The world is playing on me that I'm the only actually Graham knows the brand too. Graham knows the brand. as I well. do. Yeah. But I, I called it a white hydro. I call it a white hydro. And I was met with blank stares from everyone. Graham I thought I was drinking milk. You're a robot. So Joe, like, <laughs> and when you say when when Ryan says is everybody hydrated and you say, yes, I have a white hydro. That just, it's more robot fuel on the robot <laughs> fire in my mind. A hydro flask is, or a white hydro is better than when I thought it was ju- just drinking uh, like a gallon of milk, Anchorman yep. style, in a glass case of emotion. That's initially <laughs> what I thought Joe was doing. Yeah. When, when Joe said he has a white hydro, I assumed he had some kind of Power Ranger he was playing with, <laughs> yeah. but uh, turns out it was uh, a source of water. Joe, good to hear you are well and adequately hydrated, as we all should be in this age. And joining us, Joe, a man you just heard his voice, uh, he was watching the biggest game in the Premier League season so far last night instead of Champions League, much like I was. Graham Rutherford, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, I definitely didn't forget 
at the end of the Arsenal City game, once that match was over, that Champions League was still happening. Uh, apparently that had been <laughs> happening the whole time. So I switched over to Chelsea Dortmund to watch the last half, half hour of that game. And then I consumed all four matches today in their entirety. So ask me anything apart from Club Bruges versus Benfica. <laughs> with, you, with you talking about all the games you've watched, my question is, do you remember your family's faces? Uh, no, I think it, it's kind of like... Uh, my daughter's got a doll that doesn't have a face, and I think that's how I now envisage. It's a nightmare feel doll, I have to say. Hang on, I think what, it may have what, had, what? I think it might have had a, do- a face at some point, and maybe the face has fallen off. But uh, it's kind of like that episode of Doctor Who, Doctor uh, Who, when the Daleks kind of suck the faces off uh, humans. So that is both the doll hey, that lives in our house. And uh, hi, hi, Joe, how you doing? Quick, quick follow up. Why does she still have that doll? Its face is gone, and it seems scary. What if? Hear me out. What if you got rid of that doll and got a different doll, and then maybe in that time it would be less scary. So I think Sophie keeps that doll purely because it terrifies me and terrifies anyone that comes into the house. So that that might be the reason why. I respect that actually. Maybe it's burglars away. Yeah, Yeah. an anti-breaking doll. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Anti-theft deterrent. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful stuff. A good start to our Champions League review, as is uh, a little chat about Arsenal versus Man City. We are going to talk about the four Champions League games, but it would be remiss of us not to have a quick word about, as I say, the biggest Premier League game of the season so far. Arsenal 1, Manchester City 3. Man City going top of the Premier League on the old goal difference, but um, uh, have played an extra game at this point. Taylor, um, Pep was frustrated by the first half performance. He said, my tactics, I tried something new and it was horrible. And it certainly (laughs) seemed that City dominated the second half, punished a few mistakes, turned it around. And I've seen the cliche, it felt like their experience kicked in. These big game experience kicked in for Man City. Was it that or was it just that Pep started doing more normal things? Uh, the second one, I think. I saw that interview as well. I loved that he was laughing when he said, like, my tactics were horrible. I have to believe that if this scoreline had been the other way around, he would have been laughing less about getting those tactics wrong. Uh, but the the idea of of uh, Bernardo Silva as a left back, I, I've seen City listed as, like, a back three, a three, two, four, one. felt to me like Bernardo Silva was pretty much just a left back for most of this game, a thing that he did sort of in an improvised way or a makeshift way against Villa. In this game, I think I get the idea behind it, but it really did not work. He fouled Saka, I don't know, between five and ten times before he picked up his yellow card in the first half, and I think that necessitated some changes. But I do think Pep made some smart adjustments in this game and really basically took the game to Arsenal, whereas... I was really underwhelmed by Arsenal. I think a lot of that had to do with the absence of Thomas Partey, but they they, they looked pretty sloppy in possession. I, I would say uncharacteristically sloppy from this season. They just they looked maybe a little bit yeah overwhelmed by the occasion. Maybe overwhelmed by Erling Haaland when you have a nine foot tall giant running at you. I guess <laughs> that will make you a little bit uncomfortable. But it did feel to me like this was a game where City for lack of a better way of putting it, acted like they'd been there before and made the adjustments they needed to and yeah. took the game to Arsenal and really turned it around and credit to them for doing so. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there, Taylor. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the Bernardo thing because I very much think it, it wasn't just Bernardo Silva happening to find space in central midfield and then it left back against Aston Villa. And in, in this game as well, he, he wasn't just playing on the left, at least not, not from what I saw. He wasn't just playing at left back. He really was in possession, tucking inside into central midfield. That's the, that's the point of this whole mm-hmm. movement from Pep. It's, it's to get them more quality and more players in central spaces 
Pep Guardiola said after the game, you know, this this role for Bernardo Silva isn't new. Fabian Delft did it, which feels like 8,000 years ago, <laughs> but he's right. Zinchenko did it. He's absolutely right about that. Now Zinchenko's wearing, you know, the opposite colors in this game. And now Bernardo Silva's doing it, not least because all the left backs are gone from Manchester City. So he's he's tucking inside. The difference with Silva is he's a better possession player than Fabian Delft or Zinchenko, but he's also a worse 1v1 defender and has less speed and less defensive awareness um, compared to those other players that, that Pet mentioned after the game and the ones that I just mentioned here. So with Silva, there's there's a trade-off. And it worked, I thought, pretty well against Villa because Villa are not the attacking threat that Arsenal are. They don't have the same wide threat. They don't often play with wingers so much, and they certainly didn't in that game. But in this match, Taylor, you mentioned it. I think this is spot on. Like, that Saka versus Silva matchup was dangerous, right? That was trending in the wrong direction for Manchester yeah. City. I can understand if you're Pep trying to roll this idea out again. I, I I don't know if that was the right thing to do, and, and certainly with the changes that were made, Ake shifts out to left back in the second half as Mahrez comes off and Akanji comes on. So Akanji plays center back, Ake goes to the left side of the back line, and Bernardo Silva goes out basically to the right side of of their 4-2-2-2, 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call it. So those changes did work, but I can understand what Pep is trying to do here. I think they are in some ways fortunate that Arsenal didn't capitalize and, and maybe that Bernardo didn't even pick up like a double yellow. He gets one yellow, but maybe fortunate not to get two. So there's lots of things that could have gone wrong, but this was, in my mind, a, a very intentional tactic from Pep. And I guess credit to him for making the changes before it was too late to sort of get his team back into the really the shape they used for much of last season with that back four, with the... Uh, with the two sort of pseudo wingers and now with Holland basically as the number nine instead of a more fluid forward like Kevin De Bruyne or uh, Bernardo Silva. Joe, you've done a, a good job of explaining how it wasn't quite so much Bernardo Silva just popping up in spaces. So thank you for that. My question becomes then, like, if you're Pep Guardiola, I get how you want. You're thinking Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake. You put them back there. That's enough probably to handle the defensive side of things. We'll have Bernardo Silva go centrally, and then we get creative players in the middle. We still have attackers out wide. We have Erling Holland up top. How can we be stopped? But in my mind, the answer is you've seen Saka play before, right? Like that <laughs> on his own, he can dust you. He has the ability to beat people, to beat double teams. Yeah. And that's where I think at least some of Pep's I got this wrong, it was horrible, comes from, because I think on the attacking side, it makes sense what he was trying to do. But every time Bernardo Silva had to sort of square up to Saka, it felt like he is going to foul him because he cannot figure out a way to defend properly against him. That did feel like the mistake or the miscalculation or whatever it yeah. may be. Would you agree with that, or did you see some merit to having Silva as a left back there? Well, it's the trade-off, right? You're 100% right. That's the risk, and we saw it, and it, it didn't ultimately come back to bite City in this game, but it felt like it was pretty darn close. Saka does get on the score sheet, but that's off of a, a penalty after Xhaka plays and Ketia into the box, and Aderson comes out and clatters him after the play. And so, you know, it didn't really matter for the box score, but it's it's the trade-off, right, Taylor? So the, the risk is Bernardo Silva gets dusted on... Uh, either the break or really more likely when he is out at left back when City are in their set defensive shape, which is super narrow in this game, and, and Saka blows right by Silva or, or you know, Silva fouls him enough times that the ref gets sick of it and, and shows a red card. That's the risk. But the, the upside, the trade-off, the, the other thing that City's hoping for is that Silva will be so good in possession that he helps the other pieces around them work and that City really won't have to be back in their defensive structure with, with Silva moving back out to left back because when, when they do have the ball... Having Bernardo in that space rather than Zinchenko or Fabian Dell from you know one or two iterations of this team ago, 
I mean, he's he's better. He's just better in possession. He's better at pretty much all of the on and off ball stuff. So it's a risk for sure. It's one that sort of turned out to be like neutral. I don't think it really caved in on City's head, but I don't think they really bashed Arsenal over the head with it either. They just went back to something we've seen them do before, move Bernardo out of that role and, and just kind of charge through Arsenal in the second half. Um, Graham, it wasn't exactly a classic match, I'd say. It was quite, I thought I did enjoy, say, the last 20 minutes or so of Arsenal trying to chip away at the City defence and finding absolutely no room, then it pinging down the other end and Haaland doing his terrifying Haaland thing. Yeah. But it definitely was, can we call it a psychological victory for Man City? And literally a victory as well, because, because I mean, in terms of the title race, are we going to look back on this night as the swing? Maybe even this week for Arsenal, given the VAR stuff yeah. they had at the weekend as well. I think there's a good chance we do look back at, at this game as a real turning point in both Arsenal and City season. And I think you could tell last night, no matter no matter the outcome, it, we were it was going to be a, a pivotal moment in, in, in the title race. Even if it was a draw, you would say maybe Arsenal had had kind of stopped the rot a little bit, kept, kept City at arm's length. And as it was, City won 3-1. I think you could see in some of the mistakes. I tweeted this out last night and in typ- typical Twitter fashion, I had some people saying I was right and other people uh, calling me an idiot, which is pretty much uh, standard. Yeah, <laughs> forgiven. Um, but I thought you could see in the little mistakes that Arsenal made throughout the match that they aren't used to being in this position and in this sort of match. Just that little bit of mental relaxation was, was missing and Arteta had clearly told his players to move the ball more quickly than they did against Everton and Brentford. That was obviously a big issue in those matches, but it didn't really come very naturally against the Man City press, and obviously that is a that is a difficult challenge playing against the the Man City press. But it was all a little bit frantic and a bit messy, and we saw uncharacteristic mis- mistakes by Zinchenko and Gabriel, who was on un- who was uh, fortunate to get away with giving away a penalty, which came back for an offside. And then obviously there was the big mistake by Tommy Yasu in the first half that led to the Kevin De Bruyne goal, which, by the way, what an incredible yeah. finish. And if you're Tommy yeah. Yasu, you must just be thinking, come on. Like, <laughs> I know it's a mistake, but for Kevin De Bruyne to capitalise on the, on that mistake in that way with such aplomb and flair as well just felt very harsh and kind of underlined how ruthless this Manchester and then, City And then they threw is. hydros at him, Graham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, um, but it just felt like Arsenal were a little bit. Sh- I think they've been a little bit shaken by the last few games. I mean, Sean Dyche did this. Look at what you've done, Sean Dyche. Look at the mess that you've made of the Premier League title race. It just feels like Arsenal. All of a sudden, Arsenal feel a little bit like Arsenal again. We're, uh, just a matter of weeks ago, we were talking about how this was a different Arsenal, how they had a stronger mentality. And look, maybe that will be the case by the end of the season. Maybe they'll recover from this. Maybe there will be a bounce back. They still have that game in hand. But this does kind of feel like a little bit of an Arsenal crumble now at this point. And I feel, with that in mind, I feel so bad for Tomiyasu because of that. I mean, it is a sort of panicky decision to play that ball central. For people who haven't seen it, it's basically City go long. I want to talk about that in a moment. City go long. Holland doesn't win it, but I think Gabriel is sort of put off by Holland there. Gabriel flicks it on into his own half, and then it's... A semi-foot race between Tomiyasu and uh, Grealish. Tomiyasu goes for the central pass to no one except for Kevin De Bruyne, who finishes it well. And at that point, for the rest of the half, I thought Tomiyasu looked 
if not terrified, then very much like a player who did not want to make any more mistakes. So I felt like he made clumsy runs. I felt like he didn't open up well when Arsenal needed him to be this sort of wide outlet. I thought he was sort of hesitant in some of his decision-making. And I thought for a moment we might see him pulled at halftime because he started to look so shaky. And that stood out to me because in the second half, I thought he was one of their better performers. And it felt like in the first half, he was their worst performer. The rest of the Arsenal team were functioning at a slightly higher level. And in the second half, that really flipped. I thought he was good on good in defense. He has the one where he pokes the ball off of Grealish and out of bounds for a goal kick. Uh, little moments like that I always enjoy from a defender, but he gets forward in the attack. I thought it was a better half from him. I thought it was a less effective half from Arsenal. And much has been made of them sort of trying to play out of the back and struggling. I didn't feel like they struggled that much. It felt like a team that were really focused on keeping possession, on moving the ball, on trying to pull City in to then find space out wide. And, and I thought they did it well. I thought they struggled with making something come out of that, creating an end product from that. But the reason why I highlight that is because I also think City, by, by contrast, were the ones who I think really, like a couple years ago, were pioneering in the the keeper will always play with their feet. It's why they had to sign two keepers in a row because both of them weren't working well enough with their distribution to be able to keep the ball and kind of keep it moving. And it was interesting to me that whereas you had Arsenal trying to do that in this game, Ederson routinely is just hoofing that ball long for Erling Haaland. I think that is something that Pep Guardiola has done is sort of realized with that guy up there, he's either going to win the ball or put off the defender and create something from nothing. So go long and get it to Holland. It's a weird philosophical change in some ways, but also it's a pretty effective change in my mind. Is, is that maybe why Tommy Asu's in the Arsenal team and the Arsenal defence from the start? Because I remember a game against That's Liverpool earlier in the season where Tommy Asu plays at left back because Liverpool like to hit that diagonal ball to Salah and the idea is Tommy Asu is better in there than Ben White now where that maybe didn't pan out was we didn't really see Tommy Asu going up against Erling Haaland and it yeah. was Erling Haaland basically vaporising uh, Gabriel and uh, William Saliba at, at pretty much every opportunity where he was basically just barging through them which I very much I very much enjoyed those moments just from an entertainment point of view so we didn't really see Tommy Asu going up against Haaland but that was a peculiar choice to me because Ben White is so much better at progressing the ball through certainly through the middle of the pitch than Tommy Asu. And I would have thought that's what you would like to do against the Man City press. But maybe that was part of Arteta's thinking was he's a little bit more physical and maybe he that was a preemptive selection for those long balls into, into Haaland. All right, good stuff. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Haaland's goal, by the way. Mm. That right foot to left foot and still being able to finish slightly off balance that's so incredibly awkward and difficult to do but he made it look like it was an absolute breeze that guy he's something else ryan did you see his post-match interview I don't believe I did. Oh, it was so good. Uh, they asked because it was after Pep had said, like, oh, my tactics, they were horrible. And they interviewed Holland and he said, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a great win. We're all very excited. Credit to Pep. He made the changes at halftime. He made some really smart adjustments and we were able to get the win. And they said, yeah, yeah, he talked about that. What, what were those adjustments? And he said, I don't remember. I'm too happy. <laughs> and then he just stared at the guy with a smile. And it was just like, he doesn't do tactics. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I, I don't know if that is genuine. And you're just like, don't you just don't want to talk or you don't want to talk about it. Or you absolutely don't remember because you're just like, just give me the ball. I will do my right foot, left foot, left foot, right thing. And I will score a goal. Yeah. And that's all that matters because I am Erling Holland and I am inevitable.
I think that's a perfect professional answer from him. Doesn't want to give away uh, the secret sauce. Very well done, Erling Haaland once again. 26 goals on the season. A boy. All right, guys. We have done the A block of our Champions League show without talking about any Champions League yet. So let's remedy that after a quick break with a chat about PSG Bayern. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to PSG nil, Bayern Munich 1. Kingsley, come on with the goal. Uh, the same result and scorer as the 2020 <laughs> Champions League final, which I completely blocked out of my mind with the rest of that year, in fact. So that was interesting. Uh, Benjamin Pavard sent off in this one as well. PSG have now lost three matches in all competitions. Goodness me, PSG. And not the best performance here uh, Joe, what did we what did we make of this one from from the PSG perspective? I thought they were poor guys. I thought they were strug- I thought they struggled from pretty much the beginning of this game. The second half was better than the first. I didn't really understand Gautier's lineup here, so I want to I want to run through at least certain parts of it. So it's ostensibly like a four four two defensively. I think that was pretty clear from the jump. Something's changed in the second half, but the front two in this match was messy. And Neymar. So, I mean, two of the best players the world has ever seen. That's a that's a good place to start. And when you have those two players on the field, you pretty much have a chance to win every game. But what happens with PSG, and this is why this team is so weird, and and why they're I, I why I don't think they will win the Champions League with the current roster construction. It seems like they have an uphill battle this year. They finished in the round of sixteen last year. They finished in the round of sixteen a bunch over the last like six or seven years, which is a disaster for this club and the amount of money that they've spent. The, basically, the, the challenge with this team always is the, the stars don't defend, right? Messi and Neymar don't defend. That gave Bayern Munich almost all the ball in the first half. PSG had one shot. I believe that came from a Messi free kick that hit the wall, but maybe there's a, a different moment in there that I didn't clock. But Bayern Munich dominated the first half. They dominated large stretches of this game. And basically what PSG try to do is they try to be really, really narrow, right? Because if you can't defend starting in the front and you're, you're going to lose all that space, you're better off trying to congest the middle of the field where 
really good goal scoring chances come from, and you're, you're better off to just give up the wide areas. And essentially, that's what PSG did in this match from the jump. And Bayern Munich were left just switching the ball back and forth from wing to wing. Yeah, they went cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just going right. to use this to win the match. They're, they're going to use it. I mean, but it wasn't really guaranteed. It felt like the goal was coming from Bayern, but it really wouldn't have shocked me if PSG had somehow gotten out of this because they, they were closing off the, the right spaces. But Graham, you're totally right. Bayern Munich get that goal. It's Alfonso Davies on the left to Kingsley Coleman on the right, wing back to wing back. Davies didn't start this game, but he, he gets that assist. And it's a it's a brutal mistake from Donnarumma as well. Like, they're that moment away, PSG, from getting at least something out of this tie. But they don't. Donnarumma lets the ball slip past him. That's the challenge. What, what I also didn't understand about PSG, and I know I've been talking for a long time, but I, I don't understand how you play Messi and Neymar together without any sort of threat that's going to run him beyond, right? And, and the CBS crew, credit to them, I thought they did a fantastic job of breaking yeah. this down at halftime. I think it was Thierry Henry. I don't remember who it was. doesn't matter. But it was they talked about, okay, there it is. So they, they talked about, like, you know, Messi and Neymar both want to come back to the ball. And as Bayern Munich pressed, it's great to have numbers that will come back and, and help you break the initial pressure. But the space is behind the back line. The space is behind Bayern Munich's back line. There was a giant gap there over and over again in this game. And PSG, until Mbappe came on in the second half, it felt like just didn't exploit that at all in this game. And so finally when Mbappe comes on, Mbappe is, you know, road running his way in behind. So he's going to do that stuff. He has two goals called off for offside in this match. That's just how it goes. And Nuno Mendes finally starts breaking in behind. But it just yeah. didn't happen enough. PSG played the game, right? played their attacking game right into Bayern Munich's hands. And their defensive game was was fine, but not really good enough when when your front two aren't defending and, and Bayern Munich ultimately were the better team here. This wasn't a, a really fascinating game. It wasn't really a, a fun game to watch, but PSG just confused me, and I, I think they are going to continue to underperform for a while until the squad looks a lot different than it does now. The, the lack of pressure on Bayern when they had the ball at the back, I mean, and, and this isn't the first time we've said this about PSG, this is really something that has been true of them for two or three seasons, certainly since Messi joined and they've had that front three of Mbappe, Neymar and Messi, but it was it was to an extreme degree in this match, the, the lack of pressure on, on the ball, and it just meant that Delight at, or Delict and uh, Upamecano um, and Kimmich, when he dropped deep in between them, they were just able to push into the opposition half at almost walking pace. And by the time there was any sort of engagement from Verratti or, or Pereira, PSG or, or sorry Bayern were, were um, thirty yards out from the 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 PSG goal. And I'm just thinking, what what kind of is the plan here? Because even when, as you say, Joe, even when they they win the ball back. There's just so there's such a long way for them to break and make any kind of impression on the Bar the Bayern Munich defense when they don't have that pace and obviously Mbappe comes on and makes a a difference in the second half but I can't imagine that look Christophe Gaultier is 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 a he's a smart guy I have listened to him speak I've written quite a bit about PSG this season the first half of the season was encouraging it felt like they that he was finding some form of coherent team structure to get the best out of that squad. But this team that they that played against Bayern Munich, I can't imagine this is anything that he envisaged. The the way that that midfield was constructed, the way that Neymar and Messi as a front two just applied no pressure on the ball. PSG last summer made such a big deal of signing cohesion players. And then you look at this team, where are they? I mean, Carlos Soler was on the left wing. I like Carlos Soler. That is not his position, though. And for the goal, out of possession, completely ball watching, allowing... Uh, 
allowing uh, Coleman to, to drift into the PSG box. So it was a poorly constructed team. The only thing that keeps PSG in this tie is the individual talent that they have. Yep. And Bayern Munich, I'm, I'm not convinced that that's enough to get them through this tie because obviously Bayern Munich have lots of in individual talent. And comparing the two teams, they are certainly the ones with a, a, a clearer vision of what they want to be at this moment. Yeah, Graham, I think you're right about PSG signing like the the mesh pieces, right? Signing the the link pieces in the summer. Carlos Soler is a good example of that. Uh, the challenge is, I'm just not sure this team can be linked. I, I'm I'm genuinely not sure. We've seen, I think, enough of the Messi, Neymar, Mbappe era to kind of get a feel for how disconnected this team is against any sort of opposition that is strong enough to truly test them. And Bayern Munich, of course, are strong enough to do that. But I, I don't. I honestly don't know how you compensate for not having really any sort of front line in defense. I don't really know how you compensate for, you know, getting, we didn't see this in this game for, for much of it, but getting Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe on the field together in the attack. And, and it, it, this team can do incredible things, but I, I really don't think they're ever going to do those things as a team. They're going to do it as individuals, and it makes it really hard to win soccer games that way. This is always sort of like the FIFA experiment, ultimate team thing. Can it work in real life? You know, we've seen superstar front threes before. This one, to me, even feels a little bit different than than any we've seen before. And I I just have a really hard time picturing it working at this point. I Forgive me like for making the lazy, obvious point, but it's never been more obvious to me that this PSG team is just a team that expects to dominate. And in their league, you can not have your front two like like function in defense at all because you can expect to just outscore the other team or have more of the ball and keep possession and make something happen, slowly work it up the pitch and then rely on your individuals. And then you come up against a Bayern Munich team that I think throws something at you unexpected with their opening shape. They make some changes at halftime, so too do PSG. But if ever there were a game that really drove home the idea that PSG are built to dominate their league and then try to find a way to make something happen in the Champions League, it was this game. I, I do feel like it's going to be a long hill to climb if they want to get back into this. But then, to Joe's point, with the individuals, you've got Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. That would be that vertical threat. And if he's good to go in the second leg, you never know what will happen. And, and that dynamic that you mentioned there, Taylor, of them being built for League 1 and then see what happens in the Champions League, that feels like the, the opposite the opposite way around. Like PSG, all, the, all their focus should be on the Champions League. They should be building a, team, building a team for the Champions League because if you're strong enough to win the Champions League, chances are you're going to be strong enough to, to win League 1. And I just I look think. at Bayern Munich and someone like Jamal Musiala and the way that he plays in this team for Nagelsmann and how he knits things together. PSG don't have anyone like him. I mean, even in in in, the, in this match, where I wouldn't say that Musiala made the headlines or even played his best game, he's just so important to this Bayern Munich team. As I say, he's all over the place. He knits things together. There was one moment about five minutes from half time where he's back in the left-back area recovering a ball. Then he lays it off to Kimmich and then he's bursting forward and within, within a couple of passes, he's on the edge of the PSG box trying to play a pass through. And I think he is a reflection of the team that Nagelsmann wants Bayern Munich to be in the way that he's sort of positionless and he frequently conducts possession through two or three different areas and phases and kind of contributes to the fluidity of that team. There is no one, as I say, to re repeat my point, there is no one in the PSG team that does that like Musiala does. So Bayern are unbeaten since September now. Obviously had a few draws post-World Cup in that mix. But Taylor, do we feel like there's any doubt on the second leg here? Could PSG come back and nick this one? I think they absolutely could. I, I really do think Kylian Mbappe can be 
that difference maker. And to Joe's point, if you need someone to stretch that back line, he is just a, a terrifying person. He's a person that you have to always keep in your calculations. You have to keep an eye on. And even if you're just keeping an eye on him, you're losing focus on other areas of the pitch. And so I think he can be that difference maker. Caught offside twice in this game. If those don't go that way in the next game, PSG are right back in it. So I, I don't think – I think there is enough – potential vulnerability about this Bayern team that I wouldn't say this one is done. But I think it's Bayern at home. PSG will have to kind of push themselves to make something happen. I think that plays right into Bayern's hands, who will be comfortable to sort of let PSG basically beat themselves and present opportunities for Bayern to capitalize upon. Did anyone catch Kylian Mbappe's comments after this match where he said... Uh, PSG can still qualify for the the quarterfinals if, quote, every player eats well and sleeps well. And the context there is Neymar has been uh, having big parties at his house recently, and that has caused a bit of controversy in Paris. And the city's mayor has even got uh, involved recently. And I think if you look at Neymar right now without being uh, unkind to him who am I to talk but he's an elite level athlete you can kind of see he's not in the best condition at the moment so I wonder who Kylian Mbappe was talking about with with his uh, comments I I just love PSG it's such a (laughs) such a soap opera sorry Graham did you see the latest on that by the way how late are we talking? Is, did he have another party last night to celebrate yes. their defeat? Yes, he did. <laughs> did he, really? uh, he was he was spotted at. I saw this headline. I, I, I googled to make sure it was after. Yeah, Neymar spotted at poker tournament and McDonald's just hours after PSG lost wow. to Bayern Munich. What a combo! Uh, and and killing Mbappe saying <laughs> which well order? and sleep well. <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna assume. I mean, probably the double quarter founder. I mean, the old standard. Why not uh, the double Royale with cheese? Twenty nuggets. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, Share box. <laughs> I, I was uh, hearing Philippe Claire talk about this situation, and he said that the um, like the standard Paris Parisian city fine for a house party is 130 euros. So just imagine like the guy coming to uh, you know collect the fine at the door, and Neymar putting like 500 euros in his pocket, going, "Yeah, you know, keep keep the change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come to the party tonight. That's for or, the next one. <laughs> yeah. Or he's waking up with his slippers. He's going to get the paper. He's a little bit rough in the morning. He's picking up his paper, his, his bottle of milk, and he's fine from the Parisian <laughs> city council. <laughs> Graham, I think you meant his white hydro and his fine from the Parisian Of course, yeah. There of you course. go. Oh, dear. To be Neymar's neighbor in Paris must be a laugh when you've probably paid a lot of money to live in whatever neighborhood he is in. Uh, PSG nil, Bayern 1. We'll see how that one shakes out in the second leg. Uh, let's head to the San Siro. Milan 1, Tottenham nil. Brahim Diaz with the goal early on in this one. Uh, Spurs with you know a couple of changes. Uh, Papisar and Oliver Skip in the middle here didn't have an awful lot of attacking thrust in no. this one. A lot of thrust from the aforementioned Christian Romero with uh, was it Tenali? <laughs> I think he almost broke in half at one point. Um, but <sighs> Graham, what do we make of, uh, of of this game? I didn't make mm. a lot of it because I, yeah. I I was doing the thing where I kept switching between the games where I end up enjoying neither of them, and this one was the one I enjoyed the least, if that makes sense. So I was in Bonnie Rig when this match was oh, happening, sure. so I didn't see any of this match live, but I did rewatch it today. I I didn't think there was much between the two teams. You could tell both Milan and Spurs are a bit unsure of themselves at at the moment because it felt like there wasn't a lot of conviction from either of them. Spurs cer- certainly didn't create much at all. There was an out dire, dire header late on, but other than that, their attackers produced hardly anything at all, which is disappointing when your front line consists of Harry Kane, uh, Son Heung-min and, and Kulosevsky, who's Kulosevsky is actually in a bit of a bit of a rut right now. I thought his return from injury would be a catalyst for Spurs in their season, but it hasn't turned out that way. I, I didn't think Milan really created much either, although 
uh, crosses into the box were pretty productive. De Catalier had one glorious opportunity, and then there was another one for, was it Kalulu? I can't quite remember. But anyway, there was another good opportunity from a cross, and it felt like Spurs were having trouble defending balls into their own, into their own box. But beyond that, as I say, not much between the two teams from Spurs' point of view. I thought Papi Sarr was probably the, the, the biggest positive. Obviously, Rodrigo Bentancur is out injured for a long time is it until the end of the season season, it's certainly a number yeah end of the season that is a a big blow he was very important to that team so Conte is going to have to try some new things and in this match it was Papi Sarr and Oliver Skip and Sarr in particular as I say was very impressive he was there to win tackles he was there to stop Milan attacks and then kind of start Spurs attacks from deep even though the players ahead of him weren't really doing much from him I found some numbers from an athletic piece so nobody on on the pitch touched the ball more than Sar, uh, nobody had more shots from open play than his three. Nobody played more accurate long passes than his five, and he was joint second among all players involved for tackles one. So, as I say, he was probably the biggest success story for Spurs, but they do have some work ahead of them to turn this tie around. They do indeed. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you sort of checked out Tottenham Twitter. If such a thing is prevalent on your timeline, I didn't uh, after the game. I'm sorry to hear that, but basically the um, the fans are all like, "Oh, we're terrible! Write this season off! Stop this season already!" And there's me thinking, "Okay, fair enough. You're not playing the best soccer right now, but you're within one goal of a Champions League quarterfinal, and you're fifth in the Premier League. It could be worse." Oh, it absolutely could be worse. I mean, I can sympathize with where Tottenham fans are right now. They they beat City in the Premier League, which is a massive moment for them. I thought they did a lot of good stuff in that game. Then they get clapped by Leicester, and then they lose their first round of, of a winnable tie. They lose their, the first half of a winnable tie against AC Milan. So, yeah, I can understand the disappointment here, especially after that performance, right? I I agree with Graham. It didn't feel like there was a, a lot to this game. It didn't feel like Tottenham had a lot of chances. I thought Harry Kane was isolated once again. I, I think there's a real issue right now for Tottenham where Kane is is the central player in that attack in, in virtually every way, in possession in their their kill patterns in the final third, all that stuff. Son and, and Kulisevsky don't really seem to be able to combine with him and play off of him at, at the best way right now. And the midfield is not really linking play all the way up to Kane. And it just feels a little disjointed right now. But Ryan, as you say, it's a good reminder. There's a lot to play for for Tottenham right now. Making the Champions League is a big deal, if for no other reason, next season than money, money, money. So, I mean, that's an incredibly important part as they continue to want to retool this squad that does desperately need retooling if they want to actually climb up the Premier League table and move out of the we are fighting for fourth or fifth every single season kind of level in the league. But yeah, still tons to play for. A winnable second leg against Milan. They're very capable of moving on still. I just, I haven't really seen it from Tottenham over the last few games. Joe, just to pick up, did you say their possession and kill patterns in the final third? I did. Yeah. So like, uh, maybe that's not the best term. I guess the idea is you, you get into the final third and, and think about you know, City had a goal against Arsenal where De Bruyne slips into the box on the right channel and cuts it back to Holland and Holland finishes off, right? Think about the the one or two or maybe three actions that look purposeful leading to a goal. It doesn't feel like Tottenham have that. City have that with their little cutbacks. Arsenal have had that with, you know, sort of similar Arteta as a Pep Disciple cutbacks a lot of the season. You know, Bayern Munich had a lot of those pre-planned crosses, all that stuff. So that's kind of what I mean by kill patterns. I like that. Uh, Taylor, will you be introducing kill patterns to your lexicon? Because I am. Uh, I, I will. I'm going to add that to the, the the glossary of terms and like factual beliefs, uh, similar to Kareem Benzema scores on the weekend. We know mm-hmm. that's a rule. And Graham, I think you will 
you will agree with me, the new rule that if you start Rafael Leao in a meaningful game, you will win that game. Because here we are with Milan starting, and uh, I think he was the top-rated player, according to FOTMOB, but also Milan winning. Uh, wherever he goes, I'm assuming Rafael Leao will uh, bring wins with him. He will indeed. Uh, Graham, any more in this game before we uh, march on? Uh, just that Conte no. is staying in Italy at his family home yeah. while he recovers from a medical procedure he had mm. after the match, and I'm sure it's legit, and I'm sh- I'm sure there's nothing untoward going on, but I'm also not convinced that Antonio Conte is ever going to leave Italy again. <laughs> I so. yeah, it's it, it is. I I had that like in the running order for the view behind the curtain, and then I removed it when I saw the story that. Like he, I guess, had returned to the sidelines against doctor's orders, but then had had a follow-up like checkup and was basically told, you need to recover. You are not ready to go. So I think that's why he's, he's back in Italy. But it's also informed by uh, a, a group chat with, uh, with two of my buddies where we were just sort of comparing some of what Antonio Conte says to like a person telling their partner, like, no, nah, don't, they're just a friend. Don't worry about them. Like Conte... Just being like, I, I love Italy. It's the place I wish to be. It's my favorite place in the world. It means London's lovely. It's nice. But, you know, Italy will always be my favorite place. Is anyone hiring? So Don't worry about that. Like, it's a very – there's definitely – I think there's the health situation for sure, and, I, and I'm genuinely not trying to make light of that. Uh, it does seem like Spurs fans continue to back Antonio Conte and believe that he is a manager who can get the best out of this team. I wonder how long that continues if it feels like he isn't – uh, not even for medical reasons, just if it feels like maybe he's not sort of pushing that team to that next level, how long they will go down this road. So so Conte's gone from London to Italy, Ryan. Does that mean you can now go from Italy to London? Like, it, is that how that works? Yeah. It's one in, one out. Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. I've, uh, we've done it. We've done it. Thanks, Antonio. Um, <laughs> I'm, Potch has got a gallbladder. Just saying, Taylor. <laughs> Top of his CV of his resume when he <laughs> does that interview with Spurs. I mean, you know. that'd be so inappropriate, but also hilarious. First line. Well, I'm, I've just got I've got gallbladder. Just saying. Yeah. Some people don't. Just saying. Yeah, all me parts. <laughs> uh, interesting stat from Dimazio on Twitter. I saw uh, there were seventy four thousand people at the San Siro for this game. Uh, the total amount grossing from tickets was nine point one million euro, which is an all time record for Italy. Which is quite amazing, really, for, I mean, this Tottenham side to have generated the all-time record in Italy for tickets. And that averages out at 122 euros per ticket, um, which is a lot because having gone to a lot of Serie A games here, they you can get a ticket usually for 20 to 30 euros. Um, I'm assuming maybe some corporate stuff raises that price up. And obviously Champions League nights is a lot more expensive as well. But well done for making loads of money out of this game. Milan, congratulations to you. Does your ticket price include a a, a flare, a, a piece of pyrotechnics? Is that maybe how they're making the money up? Yeah, like maybe um, they're making the fans pay for the tifos. If you if you go to the Stadio Olimpico, I think it includes uh, a box of cigarettes because every single person has one, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they are not paying attention to the no smoking signs throughout the game. Anyway, that's another topic entirely. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's see what Chelsea got up to in Dortmund. Oh no, it wasn't good. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, 
Not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammates. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Borussia Dortmund 1, Chelsea 0. Karamadiemi with a very nice solo goal on the break, making the difference in this one. Um, Taylor, I was on a popular betting show yesterday and I explained why you should back Dortmund to win to nil in this game. Lots of reasons to suggest uh, that would happen. And it did! I mean, it wasn't a terrible Chelsea performance by any means, I would say, and it could have gone the other way. But once again, Chelsea having problems in the final third. Uh, 21 shots, eight on target, nil goals. Did you say you predicted them Dortmund to win to nil? I did. So basically you said Chelsea wouldn't score. I said Dortmund would win and Chelsea would not score. Why did you feel that way? Because uh, Chelsea... I, 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 it's just a very good bet. I, I'm not that you don't always do that. You're usually pretty good goals. on your bets. I just thank you. That's well, a big one. 
Uh, I looked at Chelsea not scoring goals, as Graham said. Two of the last three games they haven't scored. Dortmund kept a clean sheet uh, last game, I believe, and against Man City in the group stage as well. Uh, Chelsea clearly have an issue with scoring. Uh, they lost their last game in Germany. I just felt like the it felt like a Dortmund win. Uh, it was on your bones. Yeah, it was in the bones. Your bones. I felt it, and it felt good, Taylor. It felt good. I think I just I thought this could be a Dortmund win as well. I think I was feeling like it was going to be a chaotic three to two or something like that. One nil, I didn't see coming, but it did feel like Chelsea weren't necessarily there for the taking, but maybe not as harmonious and unified as you want to be heading into a Champions League knockout round fixture. Whereas Dortmund, as we've been talking about, they have a teenager who is sort of becoming this veteran leader for them. But you have a Haller back, you have Adeyemi back and performing well. You've got Schlotterback and Sula as your two center backs who are just sort of if not rock solid, then close to it. And that's not a thing we've seen from Dortmund. We've seen them have issues at center back. Rafael Guerrero will never age. I I don't know how he continues to do the things he does for like 15 years straight. So I I think it it was a great bet at the time, Ryan, and certainly in retrospect, as you look at just how strong and unified I think this Dortmund team is compared to the some of their parts that Chelsea are right now. Definitely so. Graham, what do we make of this one? Do we, um, I mean, Chelsea haven't scored twice in a game since the start of November. Something they're going to have to do oh. to progress. <laughs> yeah, you do generally need to score goals to win football matches. Um, I do think Chelsea are improving. They were unfortunate in this match, just as I thought they were unfortunate against West Ham at the weekend as well. But that is two wins from 13 matches for Chelsea now. And and I do wonder how much Graham Potter can absorb before he's he's in trouble. So Chelsea's next four games are Southampton, then Spurs, then Leeds, then the second leg against Dortmund. Let's say they don't win at least two of those league games and then drop out of the Champions League. You'd be talking about two or three wins out of 17 matches. And the way that they're going... I mean, the Spurs match in particular is going to be a difficult one. Southampton and Leeds are going to have new managers and then the way Dortmund are going, I think they've won every game they've played in 2023 so far. uh, And and so you wouldn't be too surprised if they knock Chelsea out of the Champions League. So that is is a realistic, it's a feasible outcome of the next four, four or five games. I just don't know how Chelsea continue at that point to reiterate their faith in, in, in Potter because there has to be a breaking point. And the most concerning thing is that the one big criticism of Potter at Brighton is already at the fore for for Chelsea. It's immediately, straight away, it's become the one big weakness that Chelsea have, which is his teams don't score many goals. And yes, you could put that down to the fact there's not an orthodox number nine, but at Brighton, we saw that Graham Potter didn't really gravitate towards those sort of players anyway. He he tended to favour more mobile, fluid, sort of false ninety players. Obviously, Yal Felix is doing that job for, for Chelsea, Kai Havertz as well. I actually thought, once again, Yal Felix was the best Chelsea player on the pitch in this game. He was certainly their, their biggest goal threat. But for all that XG, and this is where maybe expected goals and using expected goals for single games is, is flawed, for all that XG, it basically comes from Chelsea just having lots of shots and none of those opportunities being high-value opportunities. So well. it's both a conversion problem and also a, cre- a creation problem, I think, for, for Chelsea. I agree with that for the most part. I mean, Yao Felix had like two or three, I would say, good chances in this game. I don't know what the what the value of those were, but he had some relatively clear-cut chances on the break in the first half where Chelsea were defending much more. Dortmund were dominating the ball. I think they had like 58% possession Dortmund in the first half. 
So Chelsea did have moments on the break, but Grim, to your point, some of the challenges do come when they dominate the ball, right? In the second half, it felt like things things still things were still moving for Chelsea, but they were not creating the same types of chances they created when they had space to run into. The the biggest issue I have for for Chelsea in this game, and the, the biggest thing I'll put on Potter, I don't know I don't actually who in the coaching staff is responsible for this, but leaving Enzo Fernandez as the last man on the corner kick defending scheme. Chelsea feels, keep doing that as well. Yeah, I, I don't understand the the reasoning there. On the field, to me, it feels like there's two better options here. Reese James or Ben Chilwell. Basically, I mean, a lot of teams leave fullbacks as the, the last players back because usually they're not the tallest and usually they're fast enough to recover and they have some defensive instincts. It makes sense. But in this game, it's the 63rd minute. Chelsea have a corner. It's a good chance for them. Y'all Felix has a, a decent header. Can't put her on target. The ball is cleared out to Adeyemi for Dortmund, who runs forward against one Chelsea player. And it's Enzo Fernandez, who was good at a lot of stuff. He's incredible on the ball, can defend within like a, a structure, but he's not, he doesn't have elite speed. I don't think he has elite defensive instincts either. He's not in Golo Kante out there. Ademi runs at Enzo Fernandez. He beats him, rounds the keeper, rounds Kepa, and scores, and it's 1-0. Like that was the biggest mistake for me that Chelsea made in this game was the the player allotment, the positioning, whatever you want to call it, in that moment where Fernandez is the last player back. It just feels like that's it's a missed opportunity defensively uh, to to really let let Adeyemi break in behind there. Taylor, how worried are we for Graham Potter at this point? Obviously, yes. I don't think they're going to pull. Yeah, they're not <laughs> going to pull the trigger anytime soon. But it does feel like it's not be going super great. New, no, it has not. I was thinking about this that like if you had. Let's say Carlo Ancelotti weren't employed right now. I think there would be a strong desire to get somebody in there who has a connection to Chelsea, who has had success in the past. Like, Gus Hiddink is maybe a bit long in the tooth for that. Rafa Benitez is probably not the answer. But I do think if there were a viable short-term option, Jesse Marsh, let's get him in there, even though he doesn't want a short-term deal. I, I would I would say... But put it this way, this is what initially made me wonder. Like, as cliche as it may be, is my second cliche one of the day. Like, if Roman Abramovich is still in charge of Chelsea, I don't think Graham Potter's on that plane home. Like, I, I think they've already no, sacked him. manager by now. <laughs> right? And I don't think that's smart, necessarily. I think if you're building towards something, if you're creating a team that reflects that manager's style, it makes sense for, to, to be patient and take your time and trust that even if we get knocked out of the Champions League, even if we don't qualify for the Champions League this season, we're building towards something. I'm assuming that's what Clearlight Capital would argue they are doing. I'm not sure I see it yet, but it was looking at the the form guide. I, I screenshotted it and posted it in our, in our sort of uh, running order here. It really does show you how bad things have been, that it's been four wins... In a lot of games, there's a lot of red in there for losses. As you all pointed out, I don't know why I thought this would be a multi-goal thriller when that hasn't really happened at any point of late for Chelsea. I I don't think they will sack him. I think they have too much invested in him. But I continue to just be baffled by how this has gone because I thought this was a slam dunk appointment. I thought it was another Klopp Guardiola. He was going to be there for five to ten years minimum. And here we are. I'm not sure he gets out of this season. Yeah. Four wins in a lot of games is a good stat, by the way, Taylor. <laughs> I mean, I could count, but why? Who, need, who needs me to count? Yeah, they haven't won a lot of games, and they've drawn a lot, and they've lost a lot, is the, uh, 
the mm. summation there. And Mr. Bowley was at this game to see it in first hand as well. <laughs> was I the only one who thought it was funny that he, for the whole match he seemed to be taking pictures? Uh, I've no idea whether that was him doing the sort of touristy thing or if he was taking pictures of things that he wants to buy to add to his Amazon <laughs> wish, wish list. He needs um, he needs the Infantino screen of don't ever take a picture of me on my phone <laughs> like at the World Cup. That's what he uh, needs. Uh, Four wins in 19, first of all. There we go. Oh, I did some counting. But second of all, I did... Enjoy enjoy the joke of there was a photo of him talking to somebody from Dortmund, and I, I like the fake caption of him trying to purchase uh, the yellow wall and the TIFO uh, going with oh. it. To be like, we need that. Can we have that TIFO? Because that TIFO was insanity. Credit to Dortmund fans for an incredible graphic if people haven't seen it. Uh, I did love the uh, the quote on it was, and every time it was worth standing by your side, the journey will always go on. A lot of belief for Dortmund that maybe isn't there for Chelsea. So yeah, maybe Todd Bowley will sign the yellow wall and bring it with him uh, yeah. to Stamford Bridge and just put it in there. I'm sure they'll find a way to make that work. Can you imagine? I just, I've always, it's a bucket list trip to go to Dortmund. To have seen something like that mm-hmm. at the start of the game, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, as you say, und jedes Mal was wird auf deiner Seite so stehen, die Reise wird für immer weiter gehen. I did say that. Even rhymes, Taylor. Even rhymes in German. It's amazing. Uh, wonderful it, stuff. I didn't know. It's German is a language that I don't think of as rhyming that well. I'm sure it does. It's just not when you hear it spoken. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's it's a beautiful language. It's really beautiful. Beautiful is a word. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know someone who has a Belgian Malinois dog. And they is it me? Because that's it, me. Do you have one? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! It's, I've been watching videos of it like jump thirty feet over walls and stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> but uh, this this other friend trains Wait, it in what? German because the because the staccato nature of the words in German. It's and it's like a military thing in the I, I believe in the U.S. military they use uh, like you, you know the, my friend's walking around the park going <laughs> schnell schnell sets seats yeah platzen yeah that's how it's tailored yeah you have a dog that can jump thirty over a wall uh not not i wouldn't say that but like it's the breed that can jump from like like six inch wall to six inch wall and land on it and balance themselves and like yeah she can run straight up like a vertical surface like a good 10 feet she can clear a six foot fence she can jump a good 20 feet out if you give her like something to jump off of she's intense there's a reason why those are the dogs that like they strap to people and then jump out of airplanes with like she can uh yeah. She can handle some stuff. We didn't Look know at- that when we got her. We didn't know quite how intense she was going to be. Uh, we knew she would be somewhat intense. We didn't know that she would be the most intense have, dog in the history Have you jumped out of a plane with her yet? Yeah, yeah. That's part of the training. You have to do oh, that right, in okay. order to get one. Mm-hmm. It was intense. Every, how do you every think he gets to the until office? Did- <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, every day. Every that's day. his commute. <laughs> every, yeah, every weekend until he did that, the dog was like, come on, this weekend, this weekend. Come on, jump out of a plane this weekend. Come on, let's do it. Yeah, uh, but uh, listener, do... Do look on YouTube for Belgian Malinois because they can, as Taylor says, they basically like Spider-Man can walk up a wall for like 20 feet. It's, it's, it, they're insane. They're very... It turns out when you don't overbreed a dog to the point where their hips aren't immediately fractured, uh, they, they function quite well. But when you do breed a dog to the point where it can no longer breathe on its own, maybe less of a good idea. Indeed. And on that note, let's go Belgian, shall we? Hey. With our final game to discuss. Bruges nil, Benfica 2. Uh, a tight 45 minutes on this one, please, guys. Uh, let's keep this one <laughs> to that. Uh, João Mario with a penalty and David Nersh with the goals in this one on Scott Parker's bruise. Lest we forget Scott Parker in charge. Uh, the last time, Graham, he was in this contest, he was a player at Chelsea. Fun. Wow. And I see that his cardigans also made it over to Belgium. He was wearing his, his cardigan 
proudly in, in, in this match. Um, I also think it's quite funny that basically every English language media outlet now refers to Club Bruges as, as you did, Ryan, Scott Parker's Club Bruges. Yep. Uh, I think that might be their official club name. Now, they, they were a little bit unfortunate in this game. They did carry a threat in, in, in the first half, so Noah, Noah Lang looked dangerous. Does anyone know the story with, with Noah Lang? He was at Ajax and then Eric Ten Hag kind of uh, bombed him out of Ajax because he didn't like his attitude. He basically, Cristiano Ronaldo, Noah Lang, and now he's at Club Bruges. Very oh. talented player, questions over his attitude. He looked dangerous in this game. Adoy had a, a goal disallowed. Uh, Sowa had a couple of one-on-one opportunities on the right side. He looked quite good, but a bit like Arsenal in, the, in their game, uh, Bruges were made to pay for mistakes that they made. Jack H- Hendry gave away the penalty, and then uh, Meyer contributed to the second Benfica goal by not being decisive enough with his touch. So, in a sense, Bruges were somewhat unfortunate, but it kind of felt like Benfica played this match within themselves, and I reckon they have at least another another gear to go to if they need to in the quarterfinals, which they have one foot in at this point. Yeah, Bruges were the, the worst team to advance out of the group stage. I mean, they got peppered with shots all throughout the, the group stage, Simon Mignolet was basically their saving grace in that first round. And, you know, he made some big saves in this match as well. But guess, despite guessing right on the penalty and, and just, you know, having a couple of other moments, couldn't do enough in this game. I, I think Bruges were, or, or Brugge? Shoot, which did we land on? I know there was Brugge. a... Brugge. Brugge. Brugge, that's the one. Yeah, Brugge, I think, is the right one. You know, they they are overmatched at this point. They, they're not good enough to, to go toe-to-toe with Benfica. We saw that earlier this week, and I'm, I'm afraid we're going to see it in that second leg, too. Oh, dear. Any, anything uh, anything else to say on this game? It feels like this one's over as a contest, doesn't it, Taylor? Yeah, it does. It felt that <laughs> way before this one started. Uh, Joe, yesterday, uh, Ryan, we had a bit of a back and forth because Joe was saying like he was excited to watch Champions League, and I think Graham and I were both leaning towards watching Arsenal v Man City instead. Uh, Joe, after you jumped off when we recorded Soccer 101, uh, I, I think I said, like, I feel like this is going to be 2-0 to Benfica. It will be pretty routine. It it won't be worth talking about that much. And here we are with that pretty much being the way this played out. I mean, credit to Brugge for making here. Brugge, Bruges, Brugge, in their alcoves for making it here. But, uh, yeah, it does feel like Benfica will uh, be on their way to the next round pretty comfortably. D- did you put as much research into that prediction as Ryan did into his, or did you just feel it in your bones? Felt it <laughs> in my bones. <laughs> oh, your Scottish bones. Very nice. Uh, very good. I think that feels like a good jumping off point for this podcast, as Taylor is distributing to the group uh, videos of his Belgian Malinois jumping over entire reservoirs, apparently. She rules. Yeah. She rules. Uh, there's got to be a way the military can use this. They do. They do. Oh, yeah. fair enough. Uh, the, have you seen Zero Dark Thirty? That was a Malinois. Oh, yeah. The whole SEAL Team 6, wow. actually, is I all I thought that was Chris was. Pratt. <laughs> it was, it was. Okay. <laughs> I'm confused. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Graham Rutherford, <laughs> for your contributions to this here podcast. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, uh, hydration levels still good? Still good. Still good, Ryan. Thank you for asking. Thank Milk you very choice. much. <laughs> <laughs> and Taylor Rockwell, um, I look forward to seeing you jump off a skyscraper with your dog very soon. Me too. Me too. I don't. I don't want that. I'm afraid of heights. But uh, thank you, Ryan, uh, as always, for hosting, my friend. Indeed. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this journey. We'll be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye!